0: Hello once again, everybody, thank you for joining me in the betters box. This is bangthebook.com's MLB betting podcast for Thursday, March 12th. I'm your host, Adam Burke, here. And uh, look, I'm going to chat with you for a little while here on Major League Baseball and you know, a lot of stuff going on out there in the sports world. Before we get into that, just want to remind you that my 2020 MLB guide is available over at Amazon, and you can get it in PDF form over at bangthebook.com my thoughts on all 30 teams with their season win totals, and also some betting tips and some fantasy tips that will help you along the way for the upcoming season. Also division previews, pennant futures, uh, World Series futures, individual player futures for the Cy Young MVP and the Home Run King. Lots of stuff in that Major League Baseball betting guide for you to check out over on Amazon and also in PDF and article form over at bangthebook.com. Obviously here doing just the betters box on this Thursday edition of the show. Uh, No show coming up on Friday. And look, if we have an NCAA tournament to talk about, we will talk about that on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of next week. Betters box on Monday and Thursday. If we have a Major League Baseball season to talk about. A lot of stuff going on over at bangthebook.com. Otherwise, we've got a lot of college basketball content for as long as that's going. Uh, Obviously, you know, everything else kind of touch and go right now. Preview up of the players' championship, which is going on as I'm recording. Got a UFC preview for this weekend. So far, looks like they're still on track, but who knows as we go forward here. Same thing with the NASCAR race down in Atlanta. Looks like they're gonna go this week, but we'll have some questions going forward. And uh look, this is an unprecedented time to say the least. Obviously, we'll cover it as well as we can over at bangthebook.com while everything is going on, but You know, everything right now, just speculation, just not sure what's going to be played, what's not, you know, with the NBA now having coronavirus with Rudy Gobert and now Donovan Mitchell as well. You know, how long until the NHL suspends operations? Maybe that happens before I even finish recording today's show. Who knows? But we'll talk about all of it the best that we can, everything that's going on here at bangthebook.com. So please keep it tuned right here. And, you know, look, I mean, as far as Major League Baseball goes, I mean, who knows what's going to happen at this point? Uh, You've already have the Seattle Mariners not playing their home series against Texas to open the season. They'll wind up playing either in Arizona or somewhere else, depending on whether or not those games are actually played. So, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. I have no idea what's going to happen with the futures market. I've already placed seven win total bets. You know, you got to play 160 games for those to be determined action. So if we don't get the start of the major league baseball season, uh, the guide, i not going to say the guide is all for naught, but you know, the win total picks, they won't be a thing. Uh, you know, obviously the futures market for players futures will be a lot different. So just all kind of touch and go right now, but here's what I can tell you based on what's going on. Home field in major league baseball is a lot different than in really any other sport. Now, if they play games in an empty stadium, obviously you won't have the crowd factors. I don't know if that really matters. Both teams, it's going to be awkward for them, no matter what. Um, you know, maybe it does something different in terms of offense, with you know maybe fewer distractions for hitters that are kind of staring out at the pitcher, stuff like that. I know you have the batter's eye, but you know, there are always distractions and things of that sort. Uh, but when you talk about Major League Baseball, a lot of these teams are tailored towards their home ballparks. You know, you've got teams that play in good offensive environments that maybe don't have great pitching but have pretty good hitting. You've got teams that play in these very good pitchers parks to where they try to scrape by on offense, but try to build up their pitching staffs like in Oakland A's, like a Tampa Bay Rays, something like that. Now as of now, obviously, the plan would be to go forward with games in home ballparks just without fans. But let's say that there is some sort of really big outbreak, you know, centered in a certain city or something like that, like we're kind of seeing right now with Seattle, like we're kind of seeing in the New York City area to a degree. If these teams have to play elsewhere, they're going to wind up being at disadvantages, and that is something that we will have to factor into the equation on a game-by-game level. You know, a team like Seattle, for example, they don't have good pitching. You know, the offense isn't bad. It's not very good either. The offense is a little bit ahead of the pitching side of things, but if Seattle can't open at home, you know, where they've got, the relative safety net of T-Mobile Park, where do they play? You know, do they play in Arizona, which is currently the plan right now? Well, Arizona's not a good pitching environment at all whatsoever. So if that's the case, that probably hurts Seattle against a team like Texas. Do they try to play it at Texas's new ballpark? I don't even know if that's ready yet. Do they play it at a neutral setting where you'll have to sort of ascertain what that ballpark factor looks like? So again, You talk about home court and home ice and all these different types of things, and a lot of it is fan-based. Some teams maybe just play better at home than they do on the road. Maybe it's altitude-based, something like that. But in Major League Baseball, because you don't have uniform venues, I mean, the NBA and the NHL, all these venues are virtually the same. In Major League Baseball, that's not the case. Different dimensions, the game is played outside, so environmental factors really come into play. Imagine the A's not being able to play at home. You know, the A's, they're already banning, you know, large gatherings there in, in Santa Clara County and all that. What if they, you know, um, I don't think that they would ever go this extreme, but what if there is some sort of travel ban or something like that to where the A's can't play at home? Well, if they go play in a different environment, that negatively impacts their pitching staff and especially individual guys on that pitching staff, say a Mike Fires somebody like that, What if the Rockies can't play at home? You know, when Herman Marquez gets to make his starts on the road, he's much better on the road than he is at home. So again, obviously, these are all really extreme scenarios. We'll have to cross those bridges when we get to them. But still, you know, you've got an absence of fans, which I think will be weird. I don't think that impacts the game a whole lot. But again, what could dramatically impact the game is if these teams can't play in their home ballparks, where... A lot of these rosters are tailored to that home environment. So that's kind of what I'm looking at here for the upcoming season. And, you know, obviously everything touch and go, a lot of uncertainty across the board, but we only have two weeks until opening day. So a lot of logistical things need to be figured out. A lot of things need to, uh, you know, come to conclusions here. And, you know, not knowing what those are, maybe it's, you know, not my place to talk about some of these things. But again, you're just sort of getting you into that mindset where, Major League Baseball home field is just dramatically different than it is in any other sport. So we'll see how that dynamic plays out here as we get closer to the season. And like I said, we got about, what, 10 days left of spring training games or so. A lot of teams kind of finish up, travel back home, get to where they're going, maybe play some spring training games uh, in some of the, the different ballparks around the country. What matters in spring training? What do we want to be looking at here? And many people will tell you that spring training stats do not matter at all. For the most part, the vast majority of spring training stats do not matter. You've got guys experimenting, guys working on things. You know, a starter may get a start against the team's major league lineup. His next start may come against a bunch of journeymen and minor leaguers in a split squad game, something like that. So context is very, very hard to nail down when it comes to spring training. And to be totally honest with you, I haven't looked at a single spring training stat until I started prepping for this edition of the betters box. But I will say this, there are a handful of stats that do matter and can be somewhat predictive. What you have to look at here are stats that stabilize at a very small sample size. And what we have right now with about 10 days left of spring training is that the top guys, the guys with the most plate appearances are up in the 42, 40 to 42 range, something like that, a lot of other guys in the upper 30s. Now, there are two statistics for hitters, two primary statistics, I should say, for hitters that stabilize somewhere in the realm of 40 plate appearances. And this is according to the work done by Russell Carlton, who used to write for Fangraphs, now he's back at baseball prospectus. Did work, I believe, for the Mets for a little period of time. Very, very smart guy. Very data-driven analysis from Russell Carleton. But two stats that stabilized very quickly. Strikeout percentage and walk percentage. This makes sense. You know, guys that strike out a lot, you're going to find that out very, very quickly. Guys that walk a lot, you're going to find that out very, very quickly as well. And in that same breath, swing percentage, contact percentage, and pitches per plate appearance all stabilize at a very low sample size as well. So this is not an earth-shattering analysis, I don't think, but to the crowd that says that you know no spring training stats matter, that is wrong. Strikeout percentage, walk percentage, swing percentage, contact percentage, and pitches per plate appearance all stabilize very, very quickly. And again, This makes sense. We know year in and year out, the same guys strike out a ton, the same guys walk a ton, the same guys see a lot of pitches, so on and so forth. So if you're starting to look at some young players, perhaps, maybe from a fantasy baseball standpoint, something like that, strikeout percentage and walk percentage are two stats that do stabilize very, very quickly on the offensive side. Another offensive statistic that stabilizes pretty quickly is actually stolen base attempt rate. So guys that are aggressive on the base paths or maybe guys that are planning to be more aggressive on the base paths, that does tend to stabilize relatively quickly. Now, obviously, once you get into the regular season and games matter a little bit more, maybe some of that aggression is taken away to a degree. But the guys that are going to be aggressive on the bases are almost always going to be aggressive. They want to get a feel for getting that jump, a feel for reading pitchers, stuff like that. And they will try to do that in a lower stress, less important environment like spring training. And especially too, maybe they're seeing some pitchers that they haven't seen their pickoff moves before, something like that. So strikeout percentage, walk percentage, ground ball percentage is another one that stabilizes very quickly for hitters. Um, Now this probably has changed a little bit since Dan Rosenheck had his really impressive presentation Uh, at the Sloan Analytics Conference. You can find that PDF if you search search for which spring training stats matter. You can find his PowerPoint presentation about that where he goes into some of the more gory mathematical details. But strikeout percentage, walk percentage, ground ball percentage, swing percentage, contact percentage, pitches per plate appearance, and stolen base rate on the offensive side. Now, what's difficult here is that a lot of this stuff isn't tracked in spring training. A lot of times the, the, uh, the sites that report spring training stats are going to have the most basic of things, the most basic counting numbers, stuff like that. So for the most part, we don't want to overreact to the wild, to the widely available spring training stats because a lot of that is context dependent and just doesn't stabilize at a low sample size. But if you notice a guy striking out more, walking more, something like that, That could be a sign for you here as we head on into the 2020 season. Now on the pitching side as well, strikeout percentage and walk percentage do stabilize rather quickly. And I have isolated some guys here who are worth focusing on with regards to their spring training statistics thus far. How about Eduardo Rodriguez? A 20 to 2 strikeout to walk ratio in his 11 innings for the Boston Red Sox. He's faced 45 batters here so far. So Eduardo Rodriguez has struck out over 44% of the batters that he has faced. Last year, had that 200-inning season, kind of a breakout type of guy. And as we know here, I mean, Eduardo Rodriguez is going to be very, very important for the Boston Red Sox this season for reasons that I'll talk about a little bit later on in the show here. Here's one that's worth kind of mentioning, Dylan Bundy. Now, of the Los Angeles Angels, 16-to-1 strikeout-to-walk ratio here out of the 39 batters that he has faced. That's a 41% strikeout percentage for Dylan Bundy. Now, I don't think that all of a sudden he's going to wind up being an elite strikeout guy, but getting away from Baltimore is something that has helped pitchers in the past. You think about Jake Arietta and the big breakout season he had for the Chicago Cubs, that huge second half that won him a Cy Young. Guys getting out of Baltimore have had some more success. Now, part of that, of course, is getting out of the AL East. But another part of that is just I don't think that Baltimore is very good on the player development side for pitchers. So the fact that Dylan Bundy showing some more upside here for the Angels, again, it is just in spring training. It is only about 39 plate appearances. But this is a development to watch because Dylan Bundy is a guy that has always had the upside of the potential dating back to when he was a top prospect. If the angels can unlock something with this guy that would obviously benefit them tremendously with some of the lack of starting pitching depth that they have. So Dylan Bundy, a guy I'm going to keep a very, very close eye on here early on in the season with some positive park factor changes, and maybe here too, with a little bit of a bump in the strikeout department, two other ones here, Jay Hap and Mike or Jordan Montgomery, for the New York Yankees, both of those guys with 16-to-1 strikeout-to-walk ratios here in spring training. Hap over 13 innings, Montgomery over 11 innings. That's 46 batters faced for Hap, 42 batters faced for Montgomery. Jordan Montgomery is the guy I want to focus on here because I think Jay Hap, you know, obviously a different baseball would help him as a guy who throws a lot of fastballs. But the Yankees over the last three or four years, have really tried to minimize throwing fastballs with their pitchers. And it's one of the reasons why Sonny Gray didn't really work out for them. Sonny Gray needs to work off of that fastball-sinker combo. He couldn't really do that with the Yankees. They kind of downplayed that a lot. It just wasn't a good fit. It wasn't a good fit at all whatsoever. Jordan Montgomery is a guy, before he had Tommy John surgery, was throwing a ton of breaking balls. Lots of sliders, curveballs, and change-ups. And he was having good success with it, too. He was missing a lot of bats. Jordan Montgomery, if you've got fantasy drafts coming up, if he makes this rotation, and I think that he should, with Severino out, with Paxton out, and then Domingo Herman out for the first 68 games, Jordan Montgomery is a guy that could be very, very, very good for this New York Yankees team. And again, when you get good teams here from a betting standpoint, a lot of their prices can be very, very high. But a guy like Jordan Montgomery, he's not Garrett Cole. He's not Luis Severino. He's not James Paxton. He doesn't have that reputation. But when I look for upside guys that I want to bet on, that I want to buy long-term, Jordan Montgomery fits the bill, man. He's on a good team. He's got swing and miss upside with this, what I like to call a kitchen sink arsenal. He throws everything, including the kitchen sink, at these opposing lineups. Because he's not going to throw 60% fastballs or 50% fastballs. Montgomery's probably a guy throwing 35% fastball. What happens with that? You get more swing and miss, and you get a lot more weak contact because those are pitches that generally move enough to stay off the barrel. A lot of guys, their fastballs get hit hard because they don't move a whole lot. So hitters can center on those. There's a monumental difference in, in, you know, prospect in, uh, in projected outcomes between being on the barrel and being a half inch or an inch towards the end of the bat or down towards the handle. It is a substantial difference. And when you throw a lot of breaking balls and you can do that, if you're a guy like Jordan Montgomery, who doesn't have premier velocity, doesn't have a great fastball. So the Yankees isolated this with a guy like him and said, throw your fastball less Here's why, and I love guys that I see drops in their fastball usage early on in the season because I know that those are guys that are probably going to have lower slugging percentages against, lower isolated power numbers against, and give up fewer home runs because home runs just get hit on fastballs, You know, obviously bad breaking balls get hit a long way, So I want to make sure that the guy's got some pretty good stuff when it comes to his arsenal of breaking balls. Montgomery is a guy that does. So Jordan Montgomery is very much on my radar here to start the season as a guy that I'm going to like quite a bit. On the flip side of the coin here, you've got some guys exhibiting some very bad control with some very high walk rates early on in the process here in spring training. The biggest one is Sandy Alcantara for the Miami Marlins. And is a guy that I do like. He is a guy that doesn't have the greatest strikeout and walk rates, but he induces a lot of weak contact. He's got pretty good command overall for the most part, pretty good feel for staying off the barrel. But here in spring training so far, 11 walks in 57 batters faced across his 12 innings. That is a big red flag to me because, first of all, he walks a lot of guys anyway. So that's always going to be an ongoing concern. But if that gets worse, that's even more problematic. Secondly, if you're not exhibiting good control in spring training, it's either A, a mechanics thing, or B, a health thing. And if it's a health thing, that's a significant problem. So Sandy is a guy who's walking everybody under the sun here in spring training. That is a very bad development for him. As a guy that Again, has this thinner margin for error with his strikeout and walk rates anyway. Has to rely on that ability to induce weak contact. Well, if he's hurt and not commanding as well, or just putting a lot of guys on base, all of this is going to be a problem for him. So, Sandy Alcantara, what I'm watching very, very closely here. Another one I'm watching closely with the Atlanta Braves is Max Freed. Max Freed here, 37 batters faced, only five strikeouts against nine walks. Now, he has been brought about a little bit slowly here in spring training. Obviously, you see Alcantara with 57 batters faced, Freed with 37. So he's kind of been limited, maybe missed a start here or there. What concerns me about this is that Max Freed is a guy that I really like the strikeout numbers from last year. I thought he was a positive regression candidate. You know, being brought about slowly needs a lot of different things. Either you're not being effective. And they're trying to work on some things with you on the backfields or in bullpens, or you've been hurt or sick or something like that. So the thing about a guy like Max freed is long-term. I like him, but in spring training with these strikeout and walk numbers, I'm going to shy away now in the months of March and April, if he's even ready to go, because I want to see him get into that groove. I want to see a guy that, you know, I can trust a guy that I can believe in. And right now, with Max Freed being brought about slowly and having these strikeout and walk numbers, I can't believe in that right now. So even though he's a guy that I do like long-term, even though he's a guy that in the guide I talked about as a positive regression candidate, it may not happen right away. Not to say I'm going to fade him necessarily, but just that I won't be buying a whole lot of Max Freed stock here in the months of March and April if he's even ready to go zach godley the dot or the uh detroit tigers excuse me taking a chance on him once again the walk rate issues eight walks and four and a third he may not even make the ball club and if he does he'll be a mop-up reliever type guy something like that you know the the tigers and this is important too the tigers marlins giants all these teams that have gone out there and bought like i've called them before the island of misfit toys types of players they've got thin margins for error man they're either platoon guys that you know can't hit one side or the other. They're guys that aren't good defenders. They're pitchers that have walk problems, something like that. Everyone wants to try and find surplus value and cure some sort of ailment about a player. For Godley, it's his walk rate. And lately, there's just been nothing that he can do about it. And that's a guy, you know, live betting standpoint, if he somehow makes this rotation, something crazy like that, that's a guy I would look to fade because I know what I'm getting, and he's proving it again here in spring training with that walk rate. Finally, one more guy here with a team I do like a little bit in the Toronto Blue Jays here. Jay Anderson's walked seven of the 50 batters he has faced in his 9.1 innings of work. He's also been shelled. Now, again, you don't worry too much about ERA and runs and hits and all that kind of thing. But when you start talking about a lot of check marks in the wrong column, like we've got here with Anderson, who's walking guys and showcasing poor command. That's worrisome. Now, obviously, the Blue Jays have additional options. They don't have to go with him. Maybe they just release him or something like that. Uh, but you know, not a good look here so far for Chase Anderson. Now, again, I talked about stabilization points for things like walk rate, strikeout rate, ground ball rate, stuff like that. Stabilization rates are important. And for a lot of the different stats that are out there, it may take 175 plate appearances, 300 plate appearances, 350, something like that. Once we get into the summer months, we get to June and July, I'll start talking about stabilization points again, because at that point in time, things that we've been looking for regression from, maybe it's just not coming because stats have stabilized. They've reached a point of reliability to where, Maybe that's just how it's going to be for this season. Sample size is a really big deal when you talk about handicapping baseball in an analytical context. So it is something that I am watching over the course of the year. And again, once we get to the summer months, a lot of things start to stabilize. There are, however, stats that never stabilize. ERA, BABIP, batting average on balls in play. Left on base percentage. These are statistics that never reach a point of stabilization during the season. ERA actually never stabilizes. Like, you could just extrapolate that out forever, and it doesn't really reach a point of stabilization because it fluctuates so much. Batting average on balls in play does stabilize at 2,000 balls in play. Last season, Trevor Bauer faced the highest number of batters with 911 so at most we wind up with pitchers that have maybe 600 to 650 balls in play maybe 700 balls in play at the most so batting average on balls in play never stabilizes over the course of a singular major league baseball season either does left on base percentage so these statistics are in a constant state of fluctuating So what we try to do from a sabermetric context is look for positive and negative regression with stats that don't reach stabilization points, with stats that don't reach a point of reliability. So ERA, BABIP, left on base percentage, never reached that point, which is why you look at ERA, FIP, and XFIP. FIP and XFIP, Two of the components of those two statistics, strikeout rate and walk rate. We've already established on today's podcast that strikeout percentage and walk percentage stabilize at a very, very low sample size. So those are more predictive in nature. FIP and XFIP and and Sierra to a greater degree, which we'll talk about more uh, in the lead up to the season here. But FIP and XFIP, are thought to be more predictive. Why? Because the components of those two statistics reach a stabilization point much quicker. Hit-by-pitches reach a stabilization point relatively quickly as well. So three of the four stats that make up FIP and XFIP reach stabilization points. ERA never reaches a stabilization point. So this is why FIP and XFIP are thought to be better statistics to use for evaluating not just pitcher performance to date but pitcher performance in the future as well so that is why era compared to fip and xfip creates line moves out there in the marketplace because the modeling crowd the quant crowd dictates where those lines go and because era never stabilizes and it's open to a lot of variance, a lot of positive and negative regression, we look to take advantage of that. We look to make educated guesses based on positive or negative regression with things like ERA, left on base percentage, and BABIP. Now, to take it a step further here, with BABIP, yeah, it never reaches a stabilization point. If you've got a guy that allows a lot of hard contact, his babip is going to be higher because the harder a ball is hit, the more likely it is to go for a hit. On the flip side, obviously, guys that induce weak contact should have lower babips because the weaker a ball is hit, the less likely it is to become a hit. So those are a lot of the stables of my handy staples, excuse me, of my handicapping in that. I look for positive and negative regression using stats that stabilize early against stats that don't. You know, it's very interesting because home runs per fly ball stabilizes at 400 fly balls for pitchers. Last year, Madison Bumgarner had the most fly balls plus line drives with 320. So home run to fly ball rate never really stabilizes for a pitcher over the course of a season. Which is why, again, I use home run per fly ball percentage, looking at it saying, this should go up, this should go down. Here are the reasons why. Yeah, we look for stats that are open to interpretation and open to variance. We're making educated guesses. And you make those educated guesses looking to get closing line value and looking for positive and negative regression. So that's the method to the madness when it comes to my Major League Baseball handicapping. Now, something that's oddly interesting is that home runs per fly ball stabilizes at 50 fly balls for hitters. So that stabilizes much, much quicker. But that's a big reason why we focus so much on pitchers in the handicap, and in particular, starting pitchers. Obviously, you want to look at the strengths of the bullpen, stuff like that. But that's why a lot of people are gravitating towards the first fives now, because starting pitchers are a lot more predictable than those high variance, high volatile, high, volatility bullpens so if you take anything away from today's show you know the reasons why i look at era BABIP, left on base percentage compare them to things like fip and xfip why i harp so much on strikeout percentage and guys that limit walks that's why all of those things are such big parts of my handicapping because stabilization points with these statistics can tell us which stats are open to a lot of positive and negative regression. And again, what we try to do, what I try to do anyway, is find a high variance environment within a game and try to handicap out as much of that variance as I can or predict as much of that variance as I can. That is my goal when it comes to handicapping Major League Baseball. So we look at some spring training injuries to wrap up this segment here today on the Better's Box. Aaron Nola of the Philadelphia Phillies has been slowed by illness. Looks like he's probably going to be on a lower pitch limit here going into opening day if he makes that start in two weeks. through a bullpen with about 35 to 40 pitches this week. Uh, Looks like he's probably going to be limited in that 75 to 80 range. So keep an eye out for that there with him because this Phillies bullpen looks terrible. And now Sir Anthony Dominguez we actually had some of the most upside as far as these Phillies relievers go uh, he's going for an MRI on his elbow coming off of Tommy John looking for some setbacks there with him Of an already bad Phillies bullpen now with one of its highest upside guys on the shelf already played the Phillies season win total under obviously we'll see what happens with these full season futures uh, but you know again one of those things where uh, you know the Phillies bullpen just a major concern for me Byron Buxton, not going to be with the Twins to start off the season. He's coming off of a torn labrum. He is working his way back. He's taking batting practice, but going to be a slow start for Buxton here. The Twins obviously can out hit their mistakes, but Buxton's a big part of that defense, a big part of what helps out that Minnesota Twins pitching staff. Now, something that is kind of interesting, there were a lot of cold weather under games in April last year, and obviously it's an angle that a lot of people look at. But if the baseball is back to normal and my friend at MLB dream on Twitter saying he's watched a lot of spring training baseball to him, it looks like the baseball is back to normal. It's not juice going into this season. Uh, you know, totals are going to be very interesting to look at in the months of March and April because we know it's cold. We know the baseball doesn't travel as well in the cold. And if the baseball is back to normal, do we get some inflated totals? You know, because oddsmakers can't operate under the assumption that that's the case. I don't know. Something interesting to look at, uh, but sort of, you know, the Byron Buxton discussion kind of brought me to that point. Peter Lambert of the Colorado Rockies going for an MRI on his right forearm, forearm soreness, always a scary thing, whether it's a flexor tendon or a UCL. The Rockies are very, very thin on pitching depth anyway. I'm not a fan of this team at all. Lambert's not great by any means, but again, able-bodied, you know, guys with some major league track record are few and far between for the Rockies here going into the season, and now you've got Lambert on the shelf with this forearm soreness. I mentioned Eduardo Rodriguez and the really good spring that he's having for the Boston Red Sox. Word came out, I believe yesterday, with the Red Sox that Chris Sale will not throw until he's absolutely pain-free. First of all, good luck with that, because no pitcher with his workload is pain-free, so there is that, I wouldn't be shocked at this point in time if Chris Sale misses the whole season. You know, the Red Sox aren't going anywhere. They're far behind the Rays, and even with all their injuries, they're far behind the Yankees, too. I don't know if there's any reason to really risk Chris Sale at this point in time. So maybe he does pitch a little bit over the course of the season here, but we're talking ultimate kid gloves, man. We are talking no chance that they risk anything with this guy And if there's even the faintest hint of a setback when he starts throwing again, they will shut him down. So if this full Major League Baseball season is played, I'm operating under the pretense that the Red Sox will not have Chris Sale for the majority of it. And I could be wrong, but I don't think he's going to be there. And Eduardo Rodriguez has been great in spring training, but he's a health risk as well. Got to replace the Porcello innings. Uvalde's always hurt. I already took Boston under. I like it. I think if you find a good number, 84, 84 and a half, I still like it. But again, they're not going to push the envelope here with Chris Sale if they don't have to. And I don't think that they have to here for this season. The Rangers, Jesse Chavez, dealing with some loose bodies in that elbow. You know, He's the guy who had surgery at the tail end of last year, a procedure that he's supposed to be recovered from already. He's not at this point in time. And this Rangers bullpen didn't look very good anyway. They traded Emmanuel Class A to the Indians. They traded Chris Martin last year to the Atlanta Braves. Now Jesse Chavez, who throughout most of his career, was a very rubber-armed reliever, a swingman guy, could pitch and set up, could start games for them. If he's out, this Rangers bullpen is much, much worse than than a lot of people would expect coming into the season. So that's a big worry for me with Texas at this point in time. For the Indians here, Carlos Carrasco, inflammation in that elbow. MRI comes back structurally fine. Obviously, another thing with Carrasco having leukemia, you've got to worry about his immune system with coronavirus and all the things that are going around with that. So the Indians are going to take it very easy with Carlos Carrasco here going forward. Again, some smoke and mirrors at the start of the season with this rotation. You'll have Bieber. You won't have Clevenger. You won't have Carrasco. So you'll get Bieber. uh, You'll get Zach Plesak. You'll get Adam Plutko. You'll get, you know, God knows who else in this starting rotation here for the Indians. But some really positive reports on Zach Plesak. Increased velocity, a little bit more bite to the secondary stuff. He's been working with guys like Mike Clevenger and Shane Bieber and Trevor Bauer and stuff like that. Really positive reports on him. He could be their breakout guy. I think Aaron Savale is the big breakout guy for the Indians, but if Zach Plesak is better, I'm telling you, man, people are going to sell this Indians team from all the bad news coming out, and I get it. If Lindor gets traded in July, that's a big problem for them, but this pitching staff is deep, deep for days, man. If Plesak takes a leap and Savali takes a leap, I think Savali is going to be the guy that definitely takes a leap. You get Clevenger back and Bieber, this rotation is top-notch, man. This is still a team capable of winning a lot of games in spite of all the adversity that they're already facing blister for Alex Cobb of the Baltimore Orioles. This dude just cannot catch a break, man. Blisters, you know, can be recurring things too. So maybe this costs him in the short term. Maybe it costs him in the long term as well. We all know what Rich Hill's been dealing with on the blister side for a very long period of time. That can be a chronic thing. Hopefully it's not here for Alex Cobb. Elbow soreness for Paul Goldschmidt. And I'm already low on the Cardinals as it is. I already bet their season win total under. Elbow issues are a big deal for hitters. And for Paul Goldschmidt here, a drop in power last year, a drop in exit velocity, a drop in hard hit percentage, these are all very concerning developments. I wonder if this elbow was a problem last year. It's already a problem this year for a guy that, I don't know if he was losing bat speed, he was at least losing contact authority and contact quality. This Cardinals offense doesn't project out very well anyway. And now Goldschmidt already hurt with some concerning signs from last year. Sell that Cardinals stock, man. Sell it right away if you've got any. I like the season win total under. I do not like the Cardinals at all for this upcoming season. Speaking not staying healthy, Michael Conforto now for the Mets. Oblique injury for him. That's probably six to eight weeks now at this point in time. So two weeks to opening day probably takes him out for most of April and on into May even if it's a mild oblique issue. The guy like Conforto who's had a lot of injury problems anyway, at least 4 to 6 weeks on that end. So Conforto probably out for most of April. Keep that in mind for your fantasy drafts. And again, I like the Mets. I think healthy the Mets win the AL or the NL East. I can't bet their win total because of all these injury-laden guys that they have on that roster. Finally, one more on the pitching side for spring training, a shoulder impingement for Eric Lauer of the Brewers. Now, I like Eric Lauer. I think Eric Lauer is a guy with the Brewers, a team that really maximizes its pitchers. I think that's a guy that could have had pretty significant success here for the Brewers. But with this shoulder issue now, we'll see how long this holds him out. But what's interesting here is that now you've got Freddie Peralta and Corbin Burns up for the last spot in the rotation. Now, you've already got Adrian Hauser in the rotation, who pitched better in a relief capacity than he did in a starting capacity. You've got Brandon Woodruff, who's probably going to drop off a little bit. And now you've got Peralta and Burns up for the last rotation spots. And maybe they do okay there. But also, this weakens the bullpen for the Milwaukee Brewers. So that worries me a lot, because one of the reasons why the Brewers have been so successful the last few years is the bullpen. Yo, know, it used to be lather, rinse, repeat with Jeffress, Knebel and then uh, and Josh Hader. And they don't have that anymore. So that's a concern to me. You take a high upside relief arm like a Peralta or a Burns and put them in the rotation out of necessity, and I understand the reasons why, and maybe it helps the rotation overall, but you're robbing Peter to pay Paul, as they say, where you're weakening one part of your team in an effort to strengthen another and the brewers again i mean look this is a team that they're creative they're smart they're intellectual they're analytical they do a lot of things well but from a personnel standpoint here i've got some concerns about this team and when you start getting injuries you start shuffling guys around and stuff like that it's a very difficult thing for me to wrap my head around wanting to back a team like the brewers early on in the season so Lots of injury updates. Hopefully a lot of good stuff here for you today on the betters box. No show on Friday. We'll see what happens with the NCAA tournament. If we've got that going on, we'll do shows Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. If we don't, I don't know. Better's box on Monday. That's all I can tell you uh, for certain here as it pertains to bang the book radio. But for all of our listeners out there, do the best you can to stay healthy. Do the best you can to take care of everyone around you, your loved ones, your parents, Uh, everything, you know, obviously very, very uncertain times that we're living in right now. So uh, my thoughts and well wishes to all of my listeners out there. I love each and every one of you. Stay healthy, stay safe, take the proper precautions, Uh, you know, and again, I'll be back on Monday if we can with the betters box and some thoughts, hopefully, on the NCAA tournament. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody, and remember that you will never strike out when you're in the betters box.